You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Marcus Crawford Guy. Marcus is a great actor who went to Juilliard after me. We were never there together, but we met a few years ago when we were both asked to do a workshop with the Center for Innovation in the Arts at school. We got to create these pieces with full access to all their interactive technology in the new black box space there. He's a really thoughtful artist with a unique point of view, and you can check out his work at MarcusCrawfordGuy.com. On a different note, Frankie and I are moving apartments this weekend, so wish us good luck. I'm very excited. We're going to be on the top floor at this new place, so I can start recording at home again. I haven't really been able to have guests over uh, for the podcast because I've been working during the day, and at night, the kids upstairs are running rampant, and it sounds like a a whole soccer team up there. So I'm very excited about that. I hope you enjoy the 115th episode of The Compass. What do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Uh exercise has become the thing recently that's really helpful to like keep energy moving in my body rather than sitting in the feeling exercise has become the thing that's that keeps me buoyant in a way that I never thought it would be (laughs) is what made you see it in a new light I guess I had been I had been running for a long time and then my knees got sore, and so then I stopped and didn't realize that that was the thing that was negatively affecting my like thought processes and when I was getting destructive and looking at what people I'd went to school with <laughs> were doing <laughs> instead of focusing what focusing on what I could could be doing for myself and then I took a crossfit hit class and found it to be so exhilarating and like competitive like I could choose how competitive I wanted to be with the people around me they did not need to participate in my competition (laughs) (laughs) I could just like take heavier weights than them put myself put my own work rate in relation to theirs without them knowing um, and it exercised that that energy out, and I've been doing it for five months now. And wow! M- money that initially I was like, oh, why is this leaving yeah. my account? And now I'm that transaction goes, and it's like, okay, game time. <laughs> well, one, it holds you to it. Like then you yeah. have to do it if you've already paid yeah. for it. Because I've been doing the same thing with ClassPass, and I, it's horribly expensive. But I kind of look at it as like a mental health budget. Yeah. Because it really does help me. And it's like better than coffee. If I go <laughs> early in the morning, I don't need the coffee so soon. Which yeah, means I don't really... get the like tragic come down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you mentioned maybe comparing yourself a little bit, but what ha- what does the dark side usually look like for you? Uh, the dark side is me on IMDb Pro see- <laughs> seeing what other people have have done, and then it always circles back to me thinking about what would have happened had I not chosen to come to America hmm. because the path to employment would have been so much easier in terms of not necessarily that I am a superstar actor who would have, <laughs> who would have booked, but I do find myself signing in auditions. I have to declare my immigration status, which... Yeah. So people know that before they even see your audition. Yes, and I, f- I have had a couple of instances where, where that's been spoken about before I've gotten to show my work, hmm. and I, and I know that back home that would not have been the case, um, 
I'm sure in London people would have rolled their eyes at me being Scottish, but <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's definitely the dark side for me is going. It's uh, I guess it's the path towards regret. Right. Yeah. If you had made different choices. Yeah. What can we talk, um, just to give people a little bit of a picture of yeah. your path, why did you choose to stay after Juilliard? And two, like, what what do you see as the industry um, back home? Like, what sorts of opportunities would have been available there, do you think? Is um, it just, like, an issue of scale? Like, there's just so much more being made here. I mean, I so I stayed after Juilliard because... I moved here right after my 18th birthday and yeah I learned how to be an adult here right and kind of sacrificed a lot of friendships and whatnot to to be here for four years um and so my life felt like it was growing roots here and it just didn't it was certainly an option to go home but it didn't feel like I don't know, it didn't feel like it would... It felt like I'd go back to square one, going back home. There was right. this sense of, like, oh, I, I will have to go and, in some way, like, make up for the five years that I've been gone. Right. Well, that's what I kind of felt about, like, moving to L.A. after school. I was like, well, all our connections are in New York. All the yeah. directors we've worked with, casting directors we've met. Yeah. That sort of thing. And then... In terms of opportunity back home, I the week that I moved here, I guess in the UK school starts like a month later. So I moved here and then within that week I got offered placement at a school in London with like a full ride. But I was You didn't find out until you'd already moved? Until I'd moved, yeah. I came off the wait list. Um oh. and that had initially been like if this comes through, it's like government subsidized. It's right, like I'm, financially. Yeah, I'm not gonna think decision. about it. <laughs> um, my dad's not gonna let me think about it. He's gonna <laughs> pack my cases. Um, I was here. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think, in terms of like coming out of a prestigious institution back home, being Scottish, I do think that I would have been. I mean, I was the only Scottish person here but there are so few Scottish actors that get trained south of the border that I would have been I would have been seen and I would also have been employable um right now I'm definitely one of very few but I often come up against oh you don't have a green card so and it's actually much easier sometimes for especially in television it's much easier for producers to buy someone who's in the UK a visa for a certain amount of time than it is to take my visa, which is independently held, meaning I can work for several employers. Mm. Um, for some reason, the networks don't like that. It gives me autonomy. And if they buy someone's visa, they, they are held to that. that network, which is... Which I understand it from like is a complicated and not useful yeah. for an actor. <laughs> yeah, not helpful for me yeah. having to like make rent. Right, and when you're somebody who's living here and contributing to the economy here and invested in yeah the city, you know, like why not employ you? Yeah. Um, oh, how frustrating. And again, that's that's a conversation that's not coming up when it's like decision time. That's a conversation right. that comes up before my work has even been seen. Which, which is when it's really even more frustrating because it's it's then like a subheading under right. which everyone sees my work. Or it's hanging over you when yeah. you're trying to just think about the audition, which is yeah. hard enough. Yeah. It's hard enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you found any different ways of dealing with that situation in the years since you've gotten out of school? Yeah, I mean, I'm now at a point where most people know that I'm Scottish but if I'm meeting someone for the first time I haven't I use my American dialect because 
anything to throw people off the scent is helpful. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, we're... Th- it's a, it's a really silly thing to say, but, like, we're actors, and if you can convince someone of something, um, that's, that's like, helpful in proving <laughs> that you're good at the job. Yeah. Um, so, I and mean, there are a couple... it must be annoying that you have to do that, but... It's annoying, but it's also... If it helps get around that roadblock, then... Yeah, and also, I've... I think I've taken enough, like, casting workshops now that I, like... I'm like, it's... it's Their job is to find the best fit for the role. And so, if I can come in and pitch myself as something closer to that ballpark, then I should do that without, like, costuming myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But how about any, like... um like mental like to make it oh, mentally yeah, yeah, I mean more palatable. It's just something I've grown yeah, used nice to. to and I also my when I got issued my last visa, my lawyer when I got back to the US, she was like, Come and visit me in my office and I was like, That sounds horrible. And she gave me a list of the requirements for um a green card, like what makes you eligible. And she was like, carry this around everywhere with you. And just like, always do something every day that moves you towards this permanent resident status. And that's been really helpful for when I feel destructive. And like, I'm not making forward movement. To like, pull out that list and go... Okay, well, I've done enough teaching now, and I have presented at different places, and if I can get verification of that, or if I can use that as leverage to get more work of a similar nature, that's all. That all goes in the f- in the file for that long term goal. Right. You just you need a lot of documentation, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just lots. Lots of paper with people using superlative language, <laughs> um, and I've. It's what's what's kind of tragic about it is that, oftentimes, it's more important that the people recommending me are prestigious and established, and than it is that I am right important <laughs> in any way. So. Yeah, and I, I've grown to see that it's like there's something humorous about it, especially in the current political climate that I'm like yeah. desperately trying to stay here while other people are making jokes about trying to yeah, move about to trying Canada to leave. every day. Yeah, um, yeah that must be strange. That's, there's like a really sick irony in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just because I'm wondering if this is helpful to anyone else who might be in this position. Yeah. Like, are there any resources that you've found kind of working through all of the rules and laws and stuff since you graduated that has been helpful to you? Just to be transparent with people about what you need. I think people in New York are just like inherently busy. Mm-hmm. And I left everything to the last minute and then was not clear with what I needed. You mean last minute, like when last you Last minute in terms of trying to pull together documentation so that I wouldn't need to go home and wait for things to process. Right. Um, and for the record, I had spent seven months at home <laughs> waiting. <laughs> um, when I got back... To the US before I took any job I always made it 100% clear that I was going to need some kind of proof of the fact that this had happened um, and if I felt any kind of resistance towards that I started to make contingency plans of like oh Broadway World will write about this and they will write about it even if I have to ask them right. to or 
finding other ways to acquire that documentation if the person who was employing me directly wasn't willing to testify to that but yeah being being on having that be a forethought rather than an afterthought has been empowering because now at the point when I'm reapplying for a visa I already have so many things checked off the list that I'm not intimidated by it right and if people are so busy that you know if you worked with them six months ago it's much less likely that they're gonna (laughs) take the time to write the thing for you yeah and it probably wasn't important to them in the same way that it was important to me of course um yeah and I've grown to like sympathize with that (laughs) um besides the career stuff do you find New York to be somewhere that you find inspiring that you think you want to like make a life here long term New York itself sure (laughs) so when I I grew up in a village where like by the shape of my face people knew my last name I was a guy boy from (laughs) I mean people I still I still don't know to this day they would see me at church and walking down the street and you'd you're Ian Guy's grandson (laughs) yes um so the thing that's always appealing to me in New York is getting on the train and being anonymous Mm -hmm. um that's that's fascinating to me that there are more people in this city than there are in the country that I come from wow that's that's amazing to me um and I feel so comfortable being on the train and doing all the stuff that we as actors need to do and walking down the street and talking to myself because I know there's someone four steps behind me doing the same thing (laughs) um I I love the anonymity here and I love that I think the thing that I prefer here versus Los Angeles is that there's still interpersonal connection like I'm walking into people I'm apologizing to them (laughs) 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 or asking them to apologize to me um yeah I think the car culture out west is it's very different um I'm someone who's always been outdoorsy and even if that's walking down the street yeah even if it's concrete like (laughs) it's still I like knowing that if I had to I could get there on my feet yeah you know (laughs) it really yeah it might take me two and a half hours but (laughs) I could (laughs) um can we talk about your teaching you're doing a ton of stuff right now with artists driving to end poverty yeah when did that start for you that started well it was was interesting because I'd heard about it all throughout my time at Juilliard but it was one of those things that I never took the time to research I guess I'd always been like at some point in time someone will talk to me about this and no one did and then when I was at home for seven months I like did the research and filled out the volunteer application and immediately started volunteering like two weeks after I got back and that was a game changer for me in terms of seeing parts of New York that I wouldn't otherwise see but also my very first A-step workshop I went in the classroom and I was talking about me as an actor and some of my goals and I said I'd love to be on Broadway and this kid turned around and looked at me and was like what the street outside and we were in like East New York and I was like oh I'm here living some kind of gold-plated dream and I'm looking survival square in the eye and that was incredibly sobering and made me let go of this like chokehold that I had on auditioning and like I must I must I must and I started to check my check my privilege um and I had been teaching quite a bit before that but the a-step work is just so specific because you're dealing with 
non-traditional classrooms. Um, at the moment, I'm working in a juvenile detention centre, and that's so, so, I mean, sobering, but also, like, just such a... It makes... I reflect for hours when I, when I come out working with young people who are so vibrant and spirited and inherently like much more creative than I am but who have made life choices that will keep them in the system for the rest of their life and I I can't help but be thankful that I was born in that like small village where sheep outnumber people because the I just was never raised to see the kind of things that I'm sure these kids saw and then did. Right. Or the positions they were put in. Yeah. That's yeah. just so... They probably would see more people in a day than I would see in a week. And their the rate at which they experience things is just vastly different from my own. So you said you had done quite a bit of teaching before you uh, started with ASTA? Yeah. What kind of teaching was um, that? I took over a program in Central Florida called START, um, which was established by another Juilliard graduate, Evan Todd. Oh, yeah. And that was like a two-week summer arts workshop that grew into um, like a secondary program called The Road to College, which is all about focusing high school students that want arts careers because the there is a specific application process for art schools but no one tells us about it hmm. in high school and then if that is your chosen path you're like wait it's October of my senior year and I need four monologues right three months <laughs> from now and if you don't have the resources then all of a sudden the dream has to sit on the back burner right um, so that was more for kids who were already interested in the performing yeah, arts yeah yeah and then with the a step work you're do, you're kind of teaching other things using the arts yeah 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 uh, i'd i'd I hate to describe it yeah I'd, I'd, hate to de- it, but <laughs> I'd hate to describe it as a such distraction but there is this sense of like today we're gonna learn to cooperate with one another by those are important skills yes (laughs) yes flashback to like being on the subway and (laughs) watching people try and navigate the doors opening and closing yeah um yeah the work is just like endlessly powerful i worked with um the International Rescue Committee last summer um, and that was just crazy to be in a classroom with 18 kids many of whom do not have a common language with each other never mind with me and to Mm -hmm. begin to try and teach a class that everyone can participate in and I had so many grand plans for, (laughs) for what we would do in this storytelling class and it became like an hour of mad libs we like taught all of these different words and then would play mad libs (laughs) and then we would act out the mad libs um because we had constructed like all of this gesture work related to each word that could possibly come up um and that felt if i had told myself last july that that was all i would achieve i would have been like you're a failure (laughs) don't do this um but it felt felt really triumphant (laughs) to watch kids on stage acting out their mad lib in a new language no one to find like a a common a common language and the gestures and everything that's great yeah yeah um it was it was so (laughs) it was so special Yeah. yeah No, it definitely, I mean, I know it's hard to hang on to that all the time when you go, when you switch back to, like, career mode when you have a day where you're going to auditions or something. Yeah. But you hope that that perspective 
carries with you into the room and you can put things a little less on a pedestal or on the high wire when you walk in there yeah I do try and as cheesy as it sounds I do try and think about my students who would long to be in the waiting room Mm -hmm. that I am in before an audition as a way of settling anxiety because that's my that's the big thing for me as I go in the room and all I see are my nerves in front of me and right half the time I come out and I'm like I wish I could reflect on that audition but I was so not present that that's not even a possibility yeah and reflecting on work that's actually so much hard it is so much harder to be in a secure facility working with um young offenders like that is a much much harder task than memorizing words and going in a room and regurgitating them with a sense of truthful experience (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy though how much your body can take over in those moments though i've i've battled with that as well yeah, I you're mean, like, why? Like I feel good. I know what I'm doing. Why is my hand shaking? <laughs> like, I have no control. Over yeah, that. yeah. It's bizarre. Um, yeah. Um, what does your family make of your choice to be an artist for your career? Well, it's funny. My parents are both not artistic at all. Yeah. My my mom will flinch at that. She'll be like, I can draw, um, <laughs> but. My brother and I are both artists. My brother is a design engineer who works oh. for Apple. Older or younger? Older. Fiercely intelligent. Hmm. Um, and just really, really smart and creative in, in a much more practical way. Right. I certainly have the, like, wandering brain. <laughs> 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 like, lots of unfinished projects on my MacBook that I hope never dies. <laughs> um, how do you handle that distance, that long distance between your, you and your family? You know, it's funny, because when I was young, I was I could never do, like, I couldn't even do sleepovers. Really? I would, like, stay until, like, 10.30, and then I'd be like, I'm tired, so I need to go home. <laughs> um, and I guess when I came to... Juilliard I felt like for the audition I felt like this was a place where I would be supported even when I was struggling and I cried several times during the audition process and felt nurtured um which made that transition easier I remember I've never been more scared in my life than when my dad left me before I'd like unpacked my room he was like I'm gonna go because you need to like do this on your own and that was terrifying but then we made an agreement that regardless of how homesick I got no one would visit me before the end of the semester and I would not under any circumstance go home and that was hard and at times I I was so lonely because I had very few things that felt familiar around me and I had to like plug in my webcam to my old <laughs> laptop and like pray that Skype would work right. um, but it's gotten easier and now my brother lives in San Francisco so he's the same distance away in the other direction <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is home now and when I when I was in Scotland in 2015 waiting on my visa processing I felt homesick for New York in a way that I never felt homesick for Scotland mm. I was I was longing for the freedom to be able to jump on the subway and go somewhere and even if it was only to kill time knowing I can do that in New York is really Amazing, and I know people are listening, going, but in Scotland there, like, <laughs> I want to go to your village. And, yeah, like no, no, I understand. No that. trespass laws, blah yeah. blah blah. I um, think you can, you can still love both. 
I grew love. up in the country and I I miss aspects of it and then when I'm there I miss things about the city and yeah each are better if you get away often <laughs> yeah I remember also I guess because sometimes I do go like 9 10 11 months without seeing my parents I remember going home and being like oh people got like slightly older and that was that was slightly terrifying to just be like I am not away having accumulating all of these experiences and like time stops Mm -hmm. it like continues for everyone um and that's that's I'm sure only going to get harder as time passes yeah yeah I know that you've been very involved in like doing uh multidisciplinary work yes I don't know if that's the right word um (laughs) and we had first kind of spent time together when we did that project here what did they call it beyond the machine was that part of beyond the machine or was it called something else i guess it was the cia oh yeah this what does that stand for the center for For... innovation in the arts that's right yeah (laughs) which you know was projects involving technology and stuff yeah um what sort of things are you excited about right now with like non-traditional ways to use your your skills or collaborations that you're interested in or stuff like that um well i i'm always interested in the fact that everyone always asks me if i'm a dancer and like i'm always i'm always interested in work where i can be be moving as a dancer and mm-hmm. i don't know the stuff that i guess my issue with the with the project that we did here which was so creatively fulfilling was to then try and move that project and like have a conversation about how do I try and self-produce this and just hear how much insurance would cost on like a single piece of technology I don't know if they've advanced that since we did it but that was a flaw I think in that idea (laughs) I was like because Jenna and I had the same thing (laughs) yeah I was like I don't know if I want to insure like a $12,000 electric xylophone. (laughs) Right. It was cool to like be given these tools to play with, but then it's like, well, how do we take this beyond the workshop? Yeah. Since Um, we don't own them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's, that's been like this, the stumbling, the stumbling block there. Um, I, at one point, I had dreamed up this like this idea of like mm, creating a a digital piece that was like 24 hours on Twitter where every minute you would take the like top trending topic and the first tweet that comes up and just like have dramatic readings of them to like document 24 hours in the world where someone doing the most asinine thing can become um can become amplified yeah um there was a story about a woman who she tweeted something really silly and irresponsible about AIDS before she got on a like 17 hour flight to South Africa and then she turned on her phone when she arrived in Johannesburg and she had been the internet had like eaten her alive and spat her out and moved on (laughs) but she was not aware that that had happened and I remember hearing that story and being like that's that's interesting that we it's like it's like vultures (laughs) it's so fast um but yeah the this the thing that I loved about that project was that I am such a technophobe hmm. that Ed Bellows really made me interface with the technology and get to know it. Um, and I, I totally recognize its value in the theater. Um, and I'm glad that we got that, like, one-on-one time with 
artists behind the scenes and like really were performer producer collaborator designer because usually if they are if those kinds of elements are in a production Mm -hmm. like the director and the designers are just dealing with them you're just told where to move (laughs) yes yeah yeah and and that was really interesting i i remember making requests and them being like this is like man-made technology (laughs) so so while it can do lots of things it can't do what you want it to do and me being like but they told me I could do anything use my imagination um yeah Yeah. um but I do I enjoy making my own work I like writing my last year I self-produced a short film just to like see if it was possible um and I did it on almost almost no money um and that was really exciting and that's been a relationship and a project that's grown very quickly into like a dare I call it a pilot script oh yeah I mean I think writers would slap my wrist but (laughs) we have to start somewhere yeah um so that's that's really exciting and me and my collaborator Evan Margolis submitted it to Sundance for a lab because why not that's great um and I think that's been really amazing to go like where's the where's the extreme that we could take this to right and and then you start to hold yourself to a higher standard well, and it's great to have those things that you can work on with one other person or work on in your room alone when you're not cast in something. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's fun as well because you... We wrote it and I was like... I... I am so in this and I'm an actor and I have written a part very clearly for, for myself. <laughs> and then... And, and then just like wishing up a way to make that happen and it's like at a point in time I didn't think that there would be a script and now there is so that tells me there's a way for me to make this and be in it and people are doing that like right now I feel like especially is the time for that people are writing their way into things um and also to just be in be inspired by things that you see and then try and make something that's your own in a similar image that's that's really exciting Evan and I love like mockumentary stuff like Mm -hmm. The Office and Parks and Rec and definitely feels like in television at the moment there's a there's a gap there I don't see the thing that's filled that space and we were like let's let's dream it up (laughs) um and so the original the original short film is called Making David Harper's Actor Real. And it's about these two pushy parents who are just so proud of their talent-free son um, <laughs> making his reel that they hire a documentary film crew to film the reel being filmed. Oh my god. And it's just like so many layers of like obnoxious, rich white people (laughs) um yeah and it's like I'm smiling so it's obviously it's obviously joyous for me that's great um is there a lesson you've learned in the last couple years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about um I've learned that that I don't need to be any version of anything that's ever come out of the Juilliard School in order to be successful. And I love this place with all my heart, but, like, I'm no Oscar Isaac, and nor do I want to be. I'm Marcus Crawford Guy, and I think I have some really exciting and probably weird things to offer the world, but I spent like two and a half years sitting on my sitting on what's truly unique and wonderful about me because I felt like 
there was a formula that I had to to meet and fill and lo and behold as soon as I like took hold of the thing that's essential to me which I think is like my strange and odd sense of humor um (laughs) I I'm auditioning better I'm like I'm showing up in how I prepare my work and how I talk to myself before I go in the room when I go in the room and then like promptly tearing that stuff up and throwing it away and going that was an opportunity for me it was not me yeah and I think I you know when you're 22 and you're out of Juilliard and like you get auditions for Broadway stuff and you think you're like the bee's knees I would come out of those auditions and that would be the next four weeks of my life that was naive me not realizing if this is going any farther you will hear within the next four (laughs) hours (laughs) (laughs) and that was it's that's gonna make a great story but yeah I'm I'm really proud that I huge that I think I have something to offer that's not based on where I went to school right because it if if this if the Juilliard school was the be all end all then someone would have came and saw me at my showcase and been like this is it that's click click we're done you don't like need you to don't need to work anymore. yeah <laughs> um yeah and actually at that point in time I was like so shrouded in training that the thing that was vibrant and sparkly about me was not was not ready to be showcased it was it had really good tongue tip agility and <laughs> that was about it <laughs> yeah that is a huge huge lesson I would like to say that I've learned that as well some days more than others oh yeah I mean I please I have days where I'm like uh. <laughs> um but no but there's a weird pressure you put on yourself right when you graduate which just so unhealthy it's so unhealthy and I remember people give me such great advice and I was like hmm right (laughs) it's not not necessarily that like the teachers are putting it on you or anything although I'm sure there's some some things about fourth year that obviously get it in your head but you pick it up from other students or you just put the pressure on yourself from yeah people who you see who are working you're like that's the only thing you can do but I remember one teacher who I did not have a particularly healthy relationship with pulled me aside before the showcase and immediately, like, my anxiety topped out at, like, a 17 out of 12. <laughs> and, sh- and she was like, you know that we're not worried about you. And I was like, whoa. Um, and I didn't quite understand what that meant. And I... Huh. I think after the showcase when I didn't get a good response that was I felt like that was her way of letting me down gently like this will pay off at some point in time Hmm. but actually I've been such a fiercely hard worker since the minute I got here that that was her way of saying like if you keep going on the path that you're forging for yourself there are only great things in store but at the time, I was like, is this a... What are you trying to do? To yeah. Me? Are you trying to trick me? I'm <laughs> um, so suspicious. And then, I, and then I had other people that were like, 22 and 23 are going to be the worst years of your life. But when 24 <laughs> comes, and then 24 magic. came... magic. And then and, nothing. Yeah, my birthday's at like the start of the month, and I just paid rent. And I was like, I'm 24 and I have I'm, no money. I'm ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Where is it? <laughs> yeah, yes. It was like, I was told there would be a pot of gold and of course my birthday cards are like stuck somewhere over the Atlantic it was truly (laughs) nothing do you have any artistic mentors that you've found in your career that are important to your process you know this is someone I've this is someone I've never met but but um I think if I did ever meet Gillian Jacobs Mm -hmm. I would I would probably like wash the floor in front of her so that she could step on it because there is something about 
the and I'm I'm sorry to make this Juilliard centric, but okay. th- about the way that she was able to move forward from that. That was when I read the like Lanny Letter article that she wrote. I was like, whoa, that's that's the path that I need to be on to empower myself. Um, and that what that felt like huge it felt like someone was speaking to me through through my computer screen mm. um and also she's such a like joyous comedian um what i haven't seen a ton of her work what do you really I mean, recommend of hers love on netflix i just think is i just think it's genius okay. i think the way that like toxic behaviors specifically addiction is dealt with um and these two like painfully neurotic characters at different ends of the spectrum find find a meeting place and like uh build a ground on which they both can walk is like so wonderful and powerful and I'm I'm sure other people are like, it's trash. <laughs> well, that's um, the, the nice yeah. thing about art is subjective. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, it just finished. And I'm so... I'm, <laughs> I have to watch it. I always, for I'm some like reason, sad. I haven't, I haven't like, <laughs> clicked on it whenever I see it. Yeah, I mean, it's called love. It feels whimsical. Um, yeah. But it's nice when you hear somebody who yes. you, who's ahead of you on the path articulate something that you're feeling you're like oh I'm not the only one yeah that's that's been amazing and then I I always 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 felt like um Moni Akeem was someone who just like was able to see me mm-hmm. and was able to see the the struggles that I was going through as an actor to like I had my like hard worker and like must get this correct (laughs) and then he was like but the like improviser who is um (laughs) who is trained to make mistakes and fail is so much more interesting (laughs) and he was always so wonderful at celebrating my successes because he knew that I would beat myself up over the failures (laughs) um and yeah I just think he was the first he was the first person I met at the school. He was in the room when I auditioned and I remember going, You are you are so quirky and like <laughs> laughed at all the things that I never thought people would laugh at in my work. Mm. Um and I I just think he understood my neuroses immediately. Special, special man. So special. Yeah. So, so special. And also just an incredible teacher. Yeah. I don't think I could ever be a teacher like that. Yeah. And he he listens. He really... Yeah. Um, So two quick questions, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I know we talked about exercise earlier, but if you are having a day when you're feeling really uninspired and down like Mm -hmm. are there any other concrete things that you reach for again and again like books you reread or things you do I I love reading Gertrude Stein because I have like a book of her essays Mm -hmm. which I love because it's so hard to make sense of that I can't have anything else going on in my head so it like undoes the knot it's like a it it like uses that energy in a in another way, hmm. um, and then also taking myself to places where I have experienced extreme happiness and joy, like the High Line. That was like the first place publicly in New York that I held a boy's hand, and like that just gives me great joy. Yeah, to like be there, because I'm like I'm not with him anymore, but. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, like re- taking myself mm-hmm. to a physical location where I was in a brighter spot. Because my couch that. has seen it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
yeah, yeah. New York is interesting that way because it really is so small that like all of that history starts to overlap all the experiences. Yeah. Like I, whenever I come in Lincoln Center, I'm like experiencing ten different <laughs> years of my life <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> um, I love that. And then the final question is: Have you seen anything lately that you want to recommend of any art form? Ooh. Yeah. Friends shows or anything. Mm. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Well, I saw Three Tall Women. Oh, you and, did? Yeah. And Glenda Jackson is just... I want to see that. Outrageous. She's so wonderful and so... vibrant. And there's something... There's a really great lesson for us all in the fact that she, like, put down the work for quite some time and went and did something else and now she has picked it back up again and she is Mm -hmm. like so exquisite okay i can see that and if anyone hasn't seen i mean this is older now but if anyone hasn't seen mr gaga the documentary about ohad nahran i still haven't seen it that's i do need to see that's really something that two very important things to put on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, Marcus, thank you. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of The Compass, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thecompasspodcast. Pledges start at as little as $1 a month. You'll get access to bonus content, and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have a moment, please rate or review in iTunes. Every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brandon Spieth, Audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.